Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad you're with us this morning as uh, we're coming near the end of our series in the seven letters to the churches in Revelation uh, that we've been in for five weeks. I'm going to preach this morning on the church in Philadelphia. Timothy will close our series next week at preaching on the church in Laodicea. And then this summer, we're going to spend time in the Psalms and, uh, and just asking God uh, really to give rest uh, to our souls and to tune our hearts unto Him, and we'll just spend some time uh, together in the Psalms uh, this summer. Uh, at, at times, I don't know about you, uh, but Timothy and I, mainly, Justin preached last week, have talked how difficult at times it feels uh, to be preaching through these letters to the churches in Revelation. There, there's hard things that are said, j- words of judgment spoken. At times in my study, it's felt redundant, uh, letter after letter. But as I've thought about some of these realities, Uh, I want to highlight this about Christ Central Church. Uh, We believe all of the Bible is God-breathed. All of the Bible is vital for life, godliness, and faith. We think it's important for us to wade through difficult passages. Uh, We think it's important that if God feels the need to repeat himself, then by all means we must be a people who are hard of hearing or at least hard of believing. Therefore, we need things repeated Uh, And I've been really thankful as I've dwelt upon that, that our God doesn't leave us guessing who he is. He doesn't leave us guessing what his heart is or what it looks like for us to live in a relationship to him. He's given us his word that the, the sovereign Lord, redeemer, gracious savior has revealed himself to us in the Bible. And so this morning we get to turn our ears and turn our minds and turn our hearts yet again to the Lord and ask him to speak to us through his word. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as I read the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. This is God's word to us. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will come, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would come now and you would speak to us, that as every letter the church in Revelation says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit says to us this morning. Lord, would our minds be engaged, would our hearts uh, be plowed, tender and soft to receive so that it's planted in us, so that our lives are changed. And and would the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart who preaches, be pleasing to you. May you be seen, Lord Jesus, this morning 
And may we understand more fully your love towards us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to start with a story that I read in a book. Sister Mary Rose McGeady helps homeless children who have nowhere to go. And Sister Mary Rose tells the story of finding a dazed and confused 16-year-old boy named Eric on the street corner. And at first she thinks Eric has a drug problem, but soon she realizes he has mental challenges. And Eric had been wandering around looking for his father, who told him to wait and that he would be right back. And the father never came back. He just disappeared one day, leaving him all alone. And Eric had been living under a bridge and a cement pipe ever since, waiting for his daddy to return. Sister Mary Rose asked Eric, Eric, what's your last name? And he said, Eric. And she said, no, 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 your other name. Do you have another name? Like, I am Mary Rose, but my last name is McGeady. Do you have another name? And he replied, just Eric. So we like to read and we like to hear and we like to tell extraordinary stories of people's lives, stories of no-name startup companies that make it big, stories of people in powerful positions making profound impact. But I wonder how many people there are like Eric, people with little power, who find closed doors at every turn, who feel shut out, who are confused and hoping that someone's coming back for them. I wonder how many stories there are like Eric, stories that are never heard. I wonder how many people just feel ordinary. Perhaps this morning you feel just ordinary. You feel like just Eric. Perhaps you feel less than ordinary. Perhaps you find yourself asking, does my life matter? Do I really matter? Am I doing something extraordinary? Am I making a difference? When I really began to grow as a Christian in college, I began reading extraordinary stories of missionaries and pastors. I read the journal of Jim Elliott, who was a missionary, and from then on, I started keeping a daily journal, just in case that when I died, people would have my journal (laughs) and could publish my extraordinary life, right? My unspoken, prideful thought was, people will want to remember me. And doesn't it hurt when someone doesn't remember you? The sting or the angst, the embarrassment The internal question, don't you know who I am? You want to list all the reasons you should be known. I'll experience this on occasion when I get into conversations with people and they'll ask me, what do you do? And I'll I'll tell them I'm a pastor. And they'll say, oh, what's the name of your church? And with pride, Christ Central Church. I love my church, Christ Central Church. Oh, haven't heard of it. (laughs) Haven't heard of it. The sting, and I want to respond, well, you haven't heard? You will soon. We're going to make a difference in this city. The American mindset, be extraordinary, bleeds into the Christian life, and it bleeds into the church. And I think it makes this letter to the church in Philadelphia so significant. Philadelphia was a border town where three countries connected. There was a a major highway in Philadelphia that connected Europe to the east, and the intent was that this city of Philadelphia would be the frontier city, taking Greek culture, Greek language to the surrounding regions. Philadelphia had a ton of potential to be extraordinary, but was destroyed by an earthquake around 17 A.D. 
was being rebuilt and again was becoming a city of the re- in the region, but it was just a city. And in this city, there was a church. And it's a church that's putting Philadelphia back on the map. Right? Everybody, everybody knows about this church. It's exploding and it's growing. No. This is a church, verse 8, that says, has little power. Little social prestige. The word power is dunamis in the Greek. It's where we get the word dynamite. People were not flocking from all over to attend this church, proclaiming this church is dynamic. Articles were not being written on this church. This was an ordinary church. Experienced rejection and ridicule and exclusion. They felt unloved and unworthy. They were just the church in Philadelphia. And Jesus doesn't rebuke Philadelphia. He has rebuked all the previous churches in some way, and here he is greatly encouraged. He loves this ordinary church. This morning I want to talk about the ordinary Christian life. The city and the church in Philadelphia who lived among earthquakes and storms and trials. How are we to live the ordinary Christian life in a world full of storms, troubles, and trials? We need three things to live this life. The first thing that we need is a key. Look with me at verse 7. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. It doesn't say just the house of David. Like other places in Scripture when referencing the people of God, here, here it says Jesus has the key of David. Isaiah twenty two twenty two references the key of David, where Eliakim is the Lord's servant, has been granted authority to administer the keys of access to David's house, to the kingdom of God. So Jesus in our passage is the one with the keys to the kingdom He has absolute authority and absolute power. He opens and shuts. But think with me about the power of God's kingdom. David was a small little shepherd boy. His his father and his brothers never would have imagined that he would be God's anointed king. As a weak little boy, he fought and he conquered the giant Goliath. And when David began to think he was extraordinary and strong is when he sinned and became an adulterer and a murderer. Jesus was a carpenter in a little frontier town of Nazareth. Jesus never wrote a book. Jesus never held public office. And when he did perform miracles, he hid them from people. There was no dynamite from Jesus unless you had faith first. To the world, Jesus' life looked ordinary, even in his death. He died between two thieves, crucified on a cross like thousands of others. The king of kings would be the lamb slain. And it was in this weakness that Christ conquers. Through the cross that Jesus is given the keys to the kingdom. Jesus holds the key. Jesus holds the power so that we can hold on and hold fast to him. The ordinary Christian life is is lived trusting that Christ is in control. That he has absolute power. And do you know how freeing it is to believe this? This means that if earthquakes or storms come into the city of Durham or into our lives, we can hold fast because Christ is on the throne. 
If your marriage is rocky, if you lose your job, if your children are misbehaving, if your money is tight, if you want to be married and you're not, if you have an idea of the ideal life and your life just doesn't look like that, Jesus holds the key. He has the power over your current situation in life, and Jesus has the power to open up the kingdom. Catch this, in his perfect control and in Jesus' good rule, the things that we might envision as good might be things that keep us from him, that keep us from his heart and his kingdom. And Jesus is most concerned, not about you and your ideal life right now, but about you and you being in his kingdom. He holds the key. The second thing we need to live this life is a door. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one can shut. Jesus says, The world thinks you, church here in Philadelphia, you have little power. I have absolute power, and I have set before you an open door. Open door in Scripture, places like 1 Corinthians 16, 9, where the Apostle Paul writes, is used to reference opportunities for the gospel of Jesus to go forth, for the good news of Jesus to be proclaimed. So don't get me wrong. The ordinary Christian life is about an exciting mission. It's about an exciting mission of taking the good news of Jesus to the whole world. It's about seeing many enter the kingdom of God. It's about walking through the open doors that God sets before us. But the thing that this passage shows us and that Jesus speaks to us is that the way the good news goes forth through us, his church, is by the same pattern Jesus conquered through weakness, through what appears ordinary. I went to Malawi, Africa 10 years ago, and I was able to preach at a village church one Sunday morning, and and the pastor of this church also pastored and preached at 10 other surrounding village churches. He'd wake up 3, 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning, taking only his Bible, riding his bike, and preaching at 10 little village churches. This was outside of Lilongwe, Malawi. Not one of the most prominent cities in the world. These were small little churches, and this pastor was taking himself and his Bible and faithfully preaching God's Word. And I will tell you that this pastor and these churches were dynamic, powerful. I remember their faithfulness. I remember the power of God moving in the churches and seeing a beautiful display of the kingdom of God of God. The door was open. This church in Philadelphia, in their weakness, they kept God's word. They did not deny his name. They were faithful. And God was opening doors, providing opportunities to preach the good news of Jesus and the way they lived their their lives and the words in which they spoke. In our weakness, in our suffering, in our trials, and in our struggles, this is when God opens up his kingdom door. It's in our weakness and our struggle while we hold fast to Christ on his throne that a watching world takes notice. It's in the ordinary day in and day out of faithfully living our lives that people observe. The world doesn't need to see us as Christians professing spectacular and extraordinary lives. They need to see us remain faithful to Jesus when we're doing yard work. 
when we're raising our children, when we're shopping at the grocery store, when we're talking to friends, they need to see repentance and trust in Jesus in the day in and day out of working our jobs and living in our neighborhoods and exercising at the gym. There's a little boy who uh, was watching a pastor do some yard work and some carpentry work. And the pastor saw the little boy watching him, and, and so the pastor thought, oh, he wants to learn how to do yard work and carpentry work. So he, he invited him, come over, I'll teach you some of my skills. And the little boy said, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm actually just waiting to see what you'll do when you hit your thumb with the hammer. <laughs> and that's convicting to me because I would yell and I'd get angry. But prayerfully, I would repent quickly. The point is that people need to see if we're faithfully living with Christ day in and day out. This is when doors open up for the gospel of Jesus to go forth. Ordinary living is lived in relationships and in friendships. Now, you might be able to talk about Jesus with someone you met five minutes ago. That's great. But it may take you five years of them seeing you live faithfully to Christ before they're willing to engage in gospel conversation. That's why we talk about the primacy of relationships over programs in this church. We don't rely on programs. We believe relationships are much more effective at creating doors for gospel witness. We don't think we can pull off big events and that big events are going to effectively reach Durham for Christ. We think Christ, through us, his church, will reach the city if we're faithfully living in our neighborhoods and we're building friendships. As we're faithful at our work, as we faithfully volunteer and are committed at the Emily Case Center or the Boys and Girls Club or the YMCA as we're faithful and friendly to people at BU Cafe or Coco Cinnamon or Harris Teeter or the Food Lion, as we get to know people as we play with our children at Southside Park or Oval Park or the Museum of Science and Life. That doesn't sound very dynamic, does it? But God holds the power. And He works through our weaknesses and through our ordinariness. And over time, God will open doors for us and for you. A door for you to then invite people to come and to worship with us on a Sunday morning. A door that will open and allow you to invite someone to come to your city group or to a social event or for you to enter in and speak about Jesus in a way that they've never heard. God will open up doors for us. It will be on us to walk through them. Lastly, to live this ordinary Christian life, we need promises. There's three promises in this passage. The first promise we see in verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now that may seem strange at first. It's not talking about the church being worshipped. The Jews in Philadelphia would have known this language. It was a promise to the Jews in Isaiah chapter 60 that the Gentile nations would come and bow down to the Jews and the Gentiles would learn that God has loved the Jews. But here it's reversed. The Jews will see those who become Christians and they'll bow down, they'll be humbled because they will then know that God has set his love on us. God's heart, God's love is for the weak and for the needy and for those who trust in Christ's authority and power displayed on the cross. God sets his love on us. The second promise 
says, I will make him a pillar. I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, pillar of the temple. This is a promise to be part of the eternal community, eternal communion with the living God. Whereas sometimes we might feel like just Eric, left alone, ridiculed. God promises a loving relationship of presence that lasts forever. Never again being alone. Never again wondering if someone will remember us. Part of a city, the new Jerusalem, that will never have storms or earthquakes or trials. And we'll have a new name. We'll be known. Not making a name for ourselves, but by grace being given a name. We'll be sons, daughters. What a great promise. The last promise, and you could have passed right over it. Verse 11. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Not like Eric's father, who disappeared and never came back. Our father's coming soon. October 1991, there was a strong weather front over New England, combined with the remains of a hurricane coming up the eastern seaboard. And it formed what became known as the perfect storm, which we saw depicted in the movie with George Clooney. In the movie, you see off the northern part of the eastern coast this large fishing vessel, the Andrea Gale, battling with all of her might, power, with the expertise of everyone on board. And the mighty Andrea Gale fought valiantly, battling the perfect storm with courage, but ultimately sank. There's much to be learned in battling a storm and still sinking. But I heard a pastor share a true story about a six-year-old girl named Mary who went with her father, John, to sail off the Jersey Shore at the same time, October 1991. And John did not check the weather report. And they were six miles out, and they got shocked by how fast the winds changed and how quickly the storm came up. Soon their boat capsized, and they were in the water. And their life preservers were still tied to the boat, and it was being swept out to sea. John realized he couldn't swim all the way back to the coast with his daughter. He'd have to swim alone. So he told his daughter, Mary, you can float on your back as long as you want. They'd practiced floating in their pool at home. And he said, float on your back, Mary. I'm going to swim to shore and I'll be back for you. Three hours later, the Coast Guard found John. For the next hour and a half, they looked for Mary in the dark amidst 20 to 30 foot swells. And then miraculously they found Mary. The spotlight hit her and she had been floating for nearly five hours. And the guardsman asked, Mary, how did you do that? And she said, well, my daddy said I could float on my back as long as I wanted to and that he would come back for me. And my daddy always does what he says. The extraordinary Andrea Gale fought with courage but sank. Mary just practiced her ordinary back float, trusting her daddy's promise, and she beat the storm of the century. Christ central, Jesus says, I'll be back. The storms of life will come, but let us know and believe that what Jesus applauds and what the Father loves and what our God uses is not always the extraordinary and strong and the spectacular the Father loves faith and weakness. 
what appears ordinary. Faith in Jesus amidst the storm, floating on our backs because we know that our daddy is coming soon. Let's pray. God, I I pray. Pray that we could live these faithful lives for for the whole of our lives. Not extraordinary for a spurt and then burn out, but the whole of our lives be faithful because we know that you're in control. Because we know that you're with us and you know us and you've promised us and you are setting before us doors for which the gospel can go forth. We're a part of a mission. We're a part of a family, a community that will one day be eternal when you come back and redeem and rescue us. May we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.